Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Friday morning, the 15th of December. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. 308 motorists have been arrested over the course of the last two weeks on suspicion of driving under the influence. Out of those 308 drivers, 86 drivers were on drugs. Drug driving now seems to be commonplace. Gardaí say that so far this year, out of 7,400 people who were were arrested on suspicion for driving under the influence. 36% of all of these arrests were for drug driving. Let's speak to Blake Boland, Head of Communications with AA Ireland. Good morning to you, Blake, and thanks for joining us on the programme. Drink driving, very worrying. Drug driving, a new development, as worrying, if not more so. Uh, Do you think that some people don't appreciate the level of responsibility that comes with driving a, a car and that a car in the wrong hands can very quickly become a lethal weapon. That's right. Some people don't seem to take it as, as seriously as they should be, really. So you're you're in control of a you know a, a moving ball of metal that's going to be at least a, a ton and a half, really, and sometimes up closer to three tons. And a lot of responsibility comes with that. And for sure, like you just said, a, a lot of people are not kind of grasping that that reality that we really do have to take care of each other on, on the roads, and that includes the likes of what we were just talking about there, about avoiding drink and drug driving. Why is it, though, that uh, people don't uh, appreciate that responsibility that they should be aware of? Is it that they believe that they're such good drivers that it doesn't apply to them? A few pints or uh, whatever you're having yourself um, is something that they're very capable of driving on. Yeah, like, you know, we can't speak for, for every individual out there. Everybody's going to have different thought patterns for sure. But, but a lot of people are, are, are just not, not um, they're not getting the idea that what they're doing, what could be a small mistake, what could be just a little bit of an oversight on, on their part, which could be somebody just completely flouting the rules because they don't care. They, they don't quite grasp that it's, it's leading to, to deaths and, and hundreds of deaths on, on the Irish road. So each person is, is different. Um, and that's why the, the solutions to these have to be, be quite different as well. Mm, do you think some drivers have an inflated opinion of themselves? That's quite possible. Once again, I'm not going to speak for everybody out there. Mm. I think when you ask people in general, you know, are you a good driver? Most people would say, yeah, yeah I'm very good. Mm. Um, 
But, it, you know, it, it goes beyond being a good driver. You could be very capable, you know, in control of that, that car. You could be capable of going out onto a track and, and putting up good lap times. Um, but what we're talking about here is safety on the roads and that they can be different things. So it's about having that awareness just to slow down at the right place. And as we're talking about here, just not consume any drink or drugs. And, and even if that's going to affect you the following day, you've got to be careful of that. And you've got to take that on board. And a little bit of humility from people to say, you know what, I'm going to err on the side of caution here and just make sure that I don't cause any accidents. And that's probably a, a very important message going into the Christmas period when more people will be socialising over the coming weeks. That's right, yeah. And, you know, I, I checked the statistics just before I, I, I came on with, with you there, Michael, and we've had 177 road deaths as, as of yesterday morning. You know, that's up 30 on, on last year. Today's on up 48 on, on 2019. That was the last year before covid so we can really see that, that people are, are losing their, their lives, you know, every single week. And that there's no there's no good time to have an accident on the road. But as mm. we come up to Christmas, people are looking forward to holidays, getting back together with friends and family. And, you know, let's do our best to make sure that everybody gets there and gets there safely this Christmas. Yeah, and it's not just drinking and it's not just taking drugs and deciding to drive. It's all of the rules of the road. And thousands of people have been arrested this year for speeding, hundreds of people for using their mobile phones and quite a number, eight. 83 apparently for not using safety belts. Hard to believe that somebody would get into a car and not buckle up, isn't it? Yeah, it's such an easy thing to do and it might save your life and might even just save you from getting serious injuries. So, yeah, and and we've spoken about this on on your show before, Michael, that it's not just one thing. We can't just point at drug driving or just at alcohol consumption and say this is what's going to solve the problems or cut down. It's really a combination of everything. Like you said, it's distracted driving on the mobile phone. It's sticking to the speed limits. And even if you think personally that 80 is appropriate here, instead of the sign saying 60, mm. the sign said 60, just stick with that. Let's slow down a little bit. So it's really a combination of all those, those, those different things. Mm. Uh, just a, a text coming from Paddy and Kells about uh, the number of people arrested on suspicion of drunk or drink driving. He, 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 he's wondering how many of those people were actually over the limit. I imagine most people were because the roadside test is, is pretty accurate, isn't it? Uh, whether it's uh, the breath test that people would be uh, familiar with uh, for drink driving or these new almost like COVID type tests for drug driving. Uh, and, and that will give you a, a, a good indication as to where people are and then a blood test follows uh, to uh, in order for the guards to prosecute. Is that correct, Blake? Uh, that's right, yeah. You're talking about the new technology and, um, you know, the last few months we're, we're hearing more and more about it and it, it only takes five minutes to, to come through at, at the roadside, you know, but mm. what it can detect now is, is actually getting a lot more more accurate, of course, but also the, the level or the amount of drugs that it can it can test for, so cannabis, yeah. cocaine, but also, you know, the likes of benzodiazepines, opiates, mm-hmm. Um, amphetamine, methamphetamine. So it's getting a lot more okay. conclusive, and it's just one of the tools. But that if you're the if you're found positive uh, 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 through a roadside test, whether it's for drink or drugs, the likelihood is that you'll fail the blood test as well. Um, well, that's yeah. I mean, it, it's mm. certainly an indication, but that's why they they will bring you back to the station and and follow up with with tests as well. And you know, and it's really important to get an accurate picture of this because ultimately, what's going to happen here is. 
you're going to be punished for, for consuming alcohol or, or drugs while, while driving. Yeah. And they need to have very, very accurate numbers and details on that because if it does go to court and they need proof and they need evidence and these things have to be logged in a, you know, in the appropriate manner. Yeah, and keep in mind you're going to be put off the road uh, immediately as well for that matter. Um, some yeah. better better news uh, this morning, uh, Blake. Uh, uh, petrol and diesel prices ha- have come down for the third month in a row. That's right, yeah, three months in a row, and it's, it's been a long time since we were able to say something like that. And it was a significant drop as well. So we, we saw petrol dropping eight cents a litre down to 172, and diesel dropping nine cents a litre down to 172 as well. Now, it's still quite elevated. If we go back to May of this year, we were seeing 157 for petrol and 147 for diesel. So we're, we're, we're not screaming from the roof, rooftops that, that all is rosy, but it is a drop three months in a row at a time where we were kind of worried about prices creeping back up towards two euros as we come up to Christmas. And in fact, the, the opposite has happened. It has eased off a little bit. So yeah, definitely some mm. good news there for, for the Irish motors. Right. And can we expect more of that? It's hard to know for sure. You can never really say. I mean, the trend is good at the moment. So we had been worried that prices were going to creep up, but we've seen crude oil, so Brent crude oil has dropped down to about $75 a barrel. Now, only a few weeks ago, that was up at 94 95 So the signs are good. Uh, we've also heard the government, they're going to put off that last excise duty restoration well into the new year. So we can kind of forget about that for a moment. So the, the, the signs are good, but at the same time, things can change very quickly situation in the Middle East is still quite volatile and you just cannot predict the future on these things. All right, Thank you indeed uh, Blake for joining us uh, this morning. That's Blake Boland, Head of Communications with AA Ireland. Now if you'd like to comment on the programme today, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, we've our, our phone number to give to you if you want to ring us, that's 041 and tell us what's on your mind yourself. That's 041 or send us a text or WhatsApp it to us on 086 1800 that's 086 and you can email Michael at lmfm.ie Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, the European Union has decided to begin accession talks with Ukraine. This will be the first in what undoubtedly will be many steps towards Ukraine becoming members of the European Union. Sean Kelly, MEP for Fine Gael in Ireland South, joins us now. And good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. Uh, this uh, was described as a, a clear signal of hope by uh, the European Council President Charles Michel. Uh, undoubtedly, it will come as good news uh, for Ukrainians at such a, a bleak time for them over the course of uh, the last couple of years. And uh, I gather to some degree that's the purpose of this. Is it to, to send uh, a message of solidarity to Ukraine? You're absolutely right. And particularly at this time, because the counteroffensive seems to have stalled a bit. Uh, the support for the war effort has waned somewhat in the United States in particular, and Ukraine were beginning to feel, I think, that the same might be happening in Europe. So this is a positive signal, and uh, it was something that not everybody wanted, particularly Viktor Orban of Hungary, and he doubled down his opposition in the morning, but uh, he was obviously convinced uh, to not so much abstain. He abstained by, by leaving the room while the decision was made so that they were allowed then to be given the opportunity to open negotiations themselves and Moldova 
with the European Union. But you're absolutely right, Mike. This is a, just a signal, essentially. There's a long process before they will become members of the European Union. But it is very important for them psychologically. And also, of course, sends a message to Russia mm. that uh, the future of Ukraine is in Europe and not under Russian control. All right, uh, but it is the first of many steps. And uh, Viktor Orban, uh, the uh, um, Hungarian Prime Minister, isn't finished. Uh, He is completely opposed to this, and he said we'll come back to this issue in the new year after proper preparation uh, in a a post on social media. But uh, as you say, 26 countries, 26 leaders voted uh, to start the talks with Ukraine. The 27th wasn't in the room. Uh, Orban was asked uh, apparently by Charles Michel to leave uh, the room Uh, and this happens at a a time that Ukraine is getting 10 billion euro in European funding Uh, is that a coincidence Uh, many doubt it's the case with Hungary getting uh, 10 billion yeah that is something again that some people would be worried about in the sense that Orban has said that he's going to do certain reforms which were necessary to unblock the funding. And on that basis, the Commission said he'd fulfilled the requirements. And this was really a sweetener for him not to oppose, uh, by way of veto, Ukrainians' uh, right to start negotiations and becoming members. But, of course, he's also mm. blocked the 50 billion uh, aid to Ukraine. Yep. And that now is will probably be dealt with in January. But from what we were discussing over the last week in Strasbourg, again, I think the Commission and the Council will find a mechanism to bypass the veto and be able to get the funds uh, to Ukraine in the new year. And I think that's why they, in their statement they said they would come back to this in January. Okay. Do you uh, believe uh, that there is no coincidence in this £10 billion being paid to Orban that he, he held the other 26 countries, Ireland included, to ransom? I actually think he, he more or less did. Uh, I'm not 100% convinced that he's going to carry out reforms. There have been no points, no new appointments made to the judiciary, etc. But at the same time, I think they will probably tighten the school him as well if he doesn't deliver because you can't have a person like that who is totally obnoxious, who is very selfish, who represents a country that itself suffered in the USSR, and that's unbelievably hard to understand how he's taken the stance. And, of course, who are benefiting far more economically by way of what they're taking out of the European Union that they're putting into it. So I would say... Patience will run thin. And, of course, the other thing is that 27 members of the council, that's prime ministers, they kind of get to know one another after a while, Mm. and they might be able to, over the next uh, Christmas period, might be able to talk to him on the phone and maybe work out some kind of an arrangement. That's usually what happens in the European Union, and I would expect the same would probably happen here when it comes to January, that some mechanism would be found to uh, get the funding for Ukraine, which, in Mm. fairness, they deserve, and we have voted on the Parliament, and they need. Mm. That's the £50 that uh, Victor Orban is blocking at the moment. Uh, But the £10 goes uh, to Hungary. Uh, It's not a drop in the ocean. Uh, It would seem uh, pretty surprising that European leaders would give in to such demands. 
in a way, but it was the commission that said that they had fulfilled the criteria to allow them to unblock this money. There will be more, of course, already blocked, so they will have to show that they intend to fulfill the, the rule of law, etc., that are required to get the funding. But the funding is very important, as we know ourselves here in Ireland, for countries, particularly the developing countries. And uh, I think that if he held out too long and lost the funding, mm. then there might be pressure internally on him. So, again, usually they come with some type of a fix on this, but definitely he's playing hardball. We haven't seen mm. that type of an approach before. And it will probably lead, Michael, to the Convention on the Future of Europe deciding that there may need to be treaty change to go back to, not to go back to, but to introduce a quality majority voting rather than allow unanimity where somebody like Arban can hold the basically the EU to ransom. It sends an awful message uh, to people in Hungary, doesn't it, to members of uh, the LGBTQ community or members of uh, the press or others who are being uh, oppressed uh, by Orban's regime. Uh, he's bought his way out of having to deal with these issues and treat people properly. Yeah, I agree. And uh, these are huge concerns. And also, of course, he said that he doesn't want any migration. We have taken in 100,000 Ukrainians. Mm. Uh, he says they've had enough and all those issues, I think, in fairness to the vast majority of countries, they look at it and try and look at it from a European context as well as their own national interests. But he just look at it purely, not even, I'd say, in his own national interest, but in his own interest, so that he can be re-elected in Hungary again and present, present himself as the, the tough man mm. who stood up to the European Union and uh, Brussels, as he calls it, and won. So mm. I think this will be ongoing for another while. Uh, undermines... European politics, for that matter, doesn't it? It certainly does. And as I said, it uh, particularly undermines the normal way business is done, which will lead to a rethinking of how, of how we can be more efficient. And particularly when we are now talking about bringing in four or five new countries into the European Union, I think the rules that are there at the moment probably aren't sufficient. They need to be looked at. And if you were to get a second mm. Prime Minister or a third, like Victor Orban, and they start to behaving totally selfishly as well, then that would make it extremely difficult to have a proper and functioning European Union, which we all uh, are proud of in many respects anyway. Okay. And speaking of the rules, Ukraine has some work to do itself, doesn't it, uh, to meet the criteria to join the European Union? It has an enormous amount of work. I mean, not everything is perfect in Ukraine society. We back them 100% in defending themselves against Russia. But uh, there are a lot of uh, malpractices there over the years. They, they were part of the USSR. That's part of the regime there. Corruption is something that's rife in Russia and uh, elsewhere. And that has obviously been the case in some instances anyway in Ukraine. And all that will have to be resolved in terms of uh, the rule of law, etc. Mm. So I think at least the process is there and they know what was required. So the reforms should be taking place when they get the chance hand-in-hand hand with uh, the negotiations to progress to full membership in due course. All right. Well, we'll leave it there for the moment. Many thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Sean Kelly, Finnegale MEP for Ireland South. 
Michael Reed on LMFM. The findings of a study into dogs biting people between 2012 and 2021 in this country emphasises the importance of improving dog control legislation. This is according to the authors of this study, which is being published in the December edition of the Irish Medical Journal. They say that this is a major public issue, which has demonstrably not been sufficiently addressed by the existing legislation and its implementation. The Irish Times tells us that over this period of about a decade, there's been an increase of 55% in the number of dog bites. Let's talk to some local councillors about the problems with dogs. We're joined by Anton Waters, a member of Louth County Council, and Alan Tobin, Fine Gael, uh, member of Meath County Council. And uh, good morning to both of you. And thanks for joining us. Alan Tobin, uh, we're talking about a, an awful lot of people who have been bitten over this period. 3,158 of those actually needed treatment in hospital. Uh, it's not really acceptable, is it, that dogs are free to bite people like that? Uh, good morning to you and good morning to your listeners. No, it, it certainly isn't. And look, it's something I've been highlighting for quite a long time at this stage. Um, look, the majority of dog owners are responsible. They will use a lead. They will be responsible with the dog. They'll they'll make sure that it's cared for in every way that it can be. But there's an awful lot of people, and especially you'll hear about it with COVID and stuff like that. People got dogs. They didn't know how to look after the dog. They didn't think that when this cute little puppy grew up, it grew up to be quite a, a, a you know, a, a big animal and, and and something that is hard in some cases to control. And I suppose you're talking about the, the, the human element of it, where, where people are getting injured and maimed and life-changing uh, uh, injuries and things mm. like that. But also other dog owners would, be, would fall victim to similar uh, issues with their own dogs getting attacked. And those dogs being killed or um, being injured and mm. heading to the vets. The vets probably have similar st- statistics as well about bites and other bits and pieces like that where animals are getting injured and um, having to be put down because of it. Okay, and children most at risk up to the age of 14 uh, and the injuries can be life-threatening or life-ending as uh, the case may be. Anton Waters, uh, do you agree with the authors of this report that the legislation to deal with the control of dogs needs updating. It goes back to 1986 at this stage, I think. Yeah, good morning. Good morning to all your listeners, Michael. Um, yeah, look, without a doubt, um, it's a big issue that needs to be looked at. Um, I know it's something I get quite a few reps on in relation to control of dogs, be it on the Greenway, which we have out here, or even just around the rural roads or in our wee small villages where um, dog owners in the majority are very, very good at keeping their animals under control, but unfortunately there is cases where a dog is just left to wander and roam uh, freely and this has serious implications, um, be it attacking other dogs, attacking uh, you know, uh, people and also livestock. You know how big of an issue it has been in the Cooley Peninsula where farmers have had livestock um, attacked and killed and even recently in Ravensdale there was an incident where um, there was sheep attacked but I think the, the, scaring, the scary fact with this is the amount of children, I think it's 1200 children mm. that have been hospitalised and had to have significant um, operations carried out and plastic surgery done to help reconstruct and like that's a scary fact you know we all well, we've mm. 
young children you think of them oh, absolutely, yeah. them, it's, it's horrendous and, and the complications uh, can be very serious Louth, Kerry and Roscommon consistently the highest incidence of dog bites 56% of people who went to hospital after being bitten by a dog required a procedure under general anaesthetic uh, we're not talking uh, uh, about uh, a plaster here. Plastic surgery was needed in 42% of cases. 14 individuals were diagnosed with sepsis after being bitten by a dog. And uh, the report says that fewer than five died. I'm not sure how many that is, but one death is one too many. Uh, I- I'm sure uh, you'd agree, Anton. Yeah, of course. And as you say, it's not just a small scrape they're getting, it's significant injuries. And um, I know Loud is very, very high up in in the rankings in relation to the bites, but it's also we need to be putting more of a focus and support into our dog wardens. I know earlier in the year um, in the council we were um, talking about six penalty notices and the amount of uh, um, inspections done by our dog wardens and I think Loud was the second highest in the county or in the country sorry but we need more support like um, every time I'm speaking to the dog wardens they are very proactive in putting patrols in place but they can't be everywhere all the time so you need mm. more dog wardens to patrol um, if you have a visible presence Michael uh, it'll help you know people to remind people you need to have your dog on a lead you need to have the breeds yeah. uh, with a muzzle you need to be taking the right precautions because at the end of the day you need to be a responsible owner um, I agree with what Alan was saying in relation to a lot of people got dogs during Covid didn't realise didn't realise how much uh, work was with them and unfortunately this is the problems that's coming at the end of it mm. so we really need to do look at it um, I intend raising it on Monday at our council meeting the last one before the end of the year to see what we can do as a county to try and increase um, support for our dog wardens Okay Alan Tobin I imagine you'd agree I'd imagine most people if not everybody would agree that the problem is the owner and rarely the dog if ever the dog uh, but if a dog bites somebody uh, they're just destroyed immediately uh, that would seem unfair if it's the owner's uh, fault uh, because of, of bad training or whatever uh, but should there be uh, something other than that as a, a consequence for the owner themselves should they have to do something other than pay a fine or what, do, do we continue down this uh, policy that uh, we have of the, the issues dealt with but you can continue to have dogs uh, that doesn't seem to make much sense yeah, like, like I mean, it's a, the problem, and, and, and Anton highlights it there, is, is, is about enforcement. And I know from our side, our, our, our wardens are community wardens, so they're not just actually doing much more than being a dog warden. Now, there is, I think, one dog warden now. Now, I would be looking at that and saying that that particular dog warden and, and any other dog wardens that are taken on should have a, a qualification of veterinary nursing and things like that so that the welfare aspect is, is looked after and that they are properly uh, trained personnel on handling dogs and everything else. But you're kind of hitting the nail on the head a little bit. You get people, and in particular some of the charities, where, you know, they'll say that it's not the breed, it's the owner, and all of these different things. Like, these dogs were bred for various different things. So the bigger breeds were were bred back in the day to, to, you know, to to, to look after animals, and uh, they were bred with with particular traits. And indeed, some of the smaller dogs were were bred for particular traits, and some of those smaller dogs are, you know, it's actually cruel to, to, to bring up some of them because they're breeding difficulties and mm, other mm, other issues yep. that uh, will lead to, to problems in the future vet, veterinary-wise and end up quite expensive. But, like, I asked a question a few months ago in the Council about enforcement and the problem was that 
there was no appetite for the council, I suppose, to charge people and then to bring people to court and things like that. And that type of attitude has to change. If people have a fear, mm. and in particular, I, I, I find it around my own area here in, in, in a public park, it's the only area that I'll always say is a, is a, is a children-only area because we all have kids and if the kids go out and they stand on dog trail and the next thing it's all over their clothes and everything else, it's absolutely desperate. Now, I have dog bins in Ashburn here and, and dog bags and I have to empty them myself because the council won't do it themselves. Mm. So, like, the whole the whole area of how do we look after our animals and how do we look at the legislation, look after them and everything else, because if, if the legislation was, was adhered to as is, it protects the owner and it protects the animal and that's what has to be put yeah. across because if you have the lead on if you have the muzzle on, if it requires a muzzle, yeah. and if there's, a, if there's an incident, you're protected, and the animal's protected. If mm. you don't have those in place, the dog will, uh, if the vet recommends it, will be destroyed. Yeah, and, but, I mean, you shouldn't uh, be allowed to have a dog, should you? I mean, you're not responsible enough to own a dog if you let a, a dog off like that. You don't understand how dangerous the animal can be. And again, like, like we'd say, drink driving in, 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 in previous years where, where, it was un- where it's now unacceptable to do that, people should be pulling up, you know, dog owners who aren't doing it in public because I know oh, I've been mm. abused by people when I, when I say it to them. Yeah, well, but I wouldn't advise that to anybody now, in fairness. Uh, you'd soon get a box. Well, this is, this is, the, this is the problem. And, and again, look, that's where the enforcement should be. And, like, you know, it, it breaks my heart when you're in, a, in an area where there's little kids running around and the dog is absolutely running amok, you know, and, mm. the, and, and the owner doesn't give a damn. And there has to be that enforcement. Mm. The, the, the rules that are there at the moment, the, the fines have been doubled. Yeah. Um, but it, it, that's not a deterrent. Of us. We yeah. have to see people going to court and getting charged with it. And then people will say, I must do this. Mm. And it becomes second nature. And part of when you get a dog license and whatever else, you should get a, a, an information pack. It should tell you exactly how you're to look after your animal. Uh, but we don't do that. Yeah. Uh, and should it be like a, a driving license, uh, do you think, Anton Waters, that you can be put off the road? In other words, you can't own a, a dog uh, because the dog has bitten somebody or because... Uh, you don't pick up after your dog or you don't do any of uh, the things uh, that uh, people are complaining about all of the time, the dog out in the garden uh, making noise, keeping people awake at night and all of that sort of thing. Yeah, look, I, I definitely do think we need a look at it because at the end of the day, if you're not responsible, it's the nuisance you're causing for other people and the danger you're creating for other people. And maybe we should look at... Um, minor offences get a certain mark and if you get so many uh, you should be um you shouldn't be allowed to own a dog anymore because it's not fair for the welfare of the dog that you have and also other people and other animals so it is definitely something we need to look at because um like as you say one two uh, one person dying from a dog attack or getting seriously injured is too many so it's something we really really need to look at and um and tend to look at uh, no how do we enforce this better, try and raise more awareness. I know everyone's on social media. We can look at putting information out there about how people should be responsible, dog owners. But um, it it really is up to yourself. Like, if you have a dog, you should know how to take care of it. You should know you should be taking for a walk, feeding it. You should know you shouldn't be letting it Mm. loose in a public place where it can harm others. So to me, it's a no-brainer, but it's not always the the case, unfortunately. Okay, Joe and Navin wants to know about the dog breeders and the puppy farmers. Uh, He feels that's part of the problem. I'm getting some interference on the line. Alan Tobin, uh, can you hear me? It definitely is. I mean, we, we, we have a serious problem there too. 
and more so. I, I, I wouldn't say more with, with, with the puppy farms. It, it, the puppy farms that we know we have are regulated and regulated well. It's the it's the it's the back. Well, I'd say back street, mm. but it's the person down the road that's breeding them and and, and and isn't regulated and you know isn't hasn't got the proper papers. We've seen it where people are buying dogs. They think it's a certain breed and they think it's registered and then it ends up it's not. You yeah. know, Joe, when you look at Joe seems to be of the impression that, that the council has been notified of a number. Uh, of backyard uh, breeders, puppy farms, uh, but no action has been taken by the council. Well, uh, then I'd get on to the Department of Ag- Agriculture and, and Department of Agriculture Vet and, and, and things like that. I would say that that's probably their task, more so than the council themselves, for that type of enforcement. Okay. But, th- like, if that if that's the case, it, it has to be... Um, it has to be reported. And there are some, I would nearly say, backstreet charities, people acting as charities that are bringing dogs in and making quite a lot of money out of uh, exporting dogs out of this country to other areas as well. And that needs to be looked at too, because ultimately this is all about the, the welfare of, of, of the animals. Um, because if you're not breeding them right, if they're not in the right conditions and everything else, those particular traits will probably come out more aggressive in them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, when they're not being looked after right. All right. Look, we'll leave it there for the moment. Thanks indeed for joining us. Fine Gael, uh, Councillor on Meath County Council, Alan Tobin, and uh, Sinn Féin Councillor on Loud County Council, Anton Waters. Uh, a few people in touch with us about uh, the dogs. Uh, Jim saying this conversation is going on a long time. Dogs should be on leads and public places at all times. Public parks and places like Tara Hill, there's dogs running free and their litter has not been picked up. Uh, enough. Em- there's not enough enforcement in these places, says Jim. Margaret uh, in touch asking, how did a country like Hungary get to join the EU? Orban is a friend of Putin and there's a lot of human rights issues that he does not adhere to in Hungary. I, I thought all of the countries had to abide by European laws stroke rules. Yet here we have Orban dictating to the EU about Ukraine while not abiding by all of the rules himself. If the EU doesn't stand up to people like him then Europe will destroy the EU. Putin's friends should not be allowed to dictate to the majority of us in Europe. That's not democracy and it makes a mockery of the EU says Margaret in her message. Mick uh, thanks for your text as well. He says where Where's the law on all of these uh, types of uh, dogs being walked around in kells? I take it it's banned breeds because he's saying there's no muzzles on, on them. Running around playgrounds unsupervised. Where are the dog wardens? Thank you, Mick, for asking that question here. 0419832000, our telephone number, text or WhatsApp, 086 658 Email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now to a conversation about Christmas cards or e-cards, more to the point, uh, looking at uh, reviews on products you're considering buying on uh, the internet, charity appeals and gift vouchers. Uh, there is a link between them all and indeed a word of warning and caution that you could be about to be scammed. Let's hear more. Owen McGrath, Solutions Engineer with Threat Locker joins us now and a very good morning to you Owen. Thanks uh, for your time. You're warning people listening this morning uh, to be Cautious and indeed cognizant of the threat of being scammed on the internet over the festive period and to have what you call a zero trust policy. Tell us about some of the pitfalls, if you would, please. 
That's exactly it. Hi, Michael. How are you? And it's great to talk to you. Yeah, so we're, we're coming up to Christmas and this is exactly the time of year where people want to exploit your good nature and they want to exploit the fact that everybody wants to have a nice time at Christmas and they want to share you know, their good wishes and everything like that. One thing that we've noticed in our labs at the moment is people exploiting Christmas e-cards and you know, little Christmas greetings that people tend to send. You know, um, it was very popular last year, but, you know, those little dancing elves with your face applied and things like that. What, we need, what you need to be aware of, if something like that is sent through to you, you need to make sure that none of these um, services are going to ask for your details. None of them are going to ask for, you know, bank details or dates of birth or anything like that. You know, people need to be very aware that things like that can be, um, can be exploited. So mm. we need to... We need to pay attention to that. And I suppose uh, during the season, very uh, easy to get caught up in uh, something like Christmas cards uh, without thinking too much about it. Exactly. And then you've got deals as well. Everybody Mm. is out there looking for the latest and greatest toy or whatever is on trend this year. So you also need to be aware of um, fake sites and fake reviews because, you know, the scammers are going to have very realistic looking sites where there's all five star reviews for their service but when you look in a little bit deeper you'll see the text is repeated in each review or there's the same spelling mistakes or there's the same little errors and you also need to be um, aware of the just as good you know the the not quite Nike runners you know Mm. that's also a big problem so if you see something that looks too good to be true on product reviews or on sites you also need to be aware of that. Okay, and uh, I mean, they have no shame, some of uh, these scammers, uh, and will pull on heartstrings and ask you uh, to donate to charity, but you could end up being cleaned out. That's exactly. It's, just, it's Christmas. Everybody is in a good mood and everybody wants to help, and they are ruthless in terms of what they'll exploit. And they're capable of... They're capable of determining what you're interested in. You know, everybody knows if you look at Facebook and you're interested in animals, you're going to see ads for animal products. The scammers are able to do the exact same thing. Mm. If they know you like dogs, they're going to find a fake animal shelter that you're going to look at. With all of the conflicts in the world, there's going to be fake humanitarian appeals. So again, these people are, they're not good. They are going to try and exploit you. So if you're looking at any of these donations or any of these things, mm. always make sure that there is a registered charity number. And you can also look on the Register of Charities in Ireland and you can look up that charity number to make sure that they're a legitimate charity. So okay. that's don't, something... And don't get overly excited for that matter. I take it uh, when people believe uh, that they've won something on the internet that quite often they click on a, a link and the opposite is the truth. Very much so. You know, um, just just like in real life, you know, um, Bill Gates does not want to give you money, neither does Elon Musk. And uh, very few companies out of the goodness of their heart are going to send you a random gift voucher. So again, we just need to bear in mind that uh, if it seems too good to be true, it is. What we want to do is... 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. While, you know, you want to get into the Christmas spirit, don't trust any of these random things that come through to, to your phone in a text message or through to, mm. through to your email or Facebook accounts. Okay. Just like any other time of the year, be on your guard. Owen, oh, thank you indeed. Very much. Thank you no problem much. at all. Thank Thanks, you. Michael. Have a great Christmas. Yeah, Take care. You too. Owen McGrath, Solutions Engineer with uh, the Threat Locker. Uh, I rise for the last time in this uh, year. So can I just wish everybody a happy Christmas and to you, Karen Corda, for all of York and to the staff here in, in the Oireachtas who I'm sure will be relieved to see the back of us for just a short while. I also want to offer my thanks to you, Karen Corla, uh, to all colleagues in the House, and particularly to the staff of the Oireachtas, and indeed uh, our, our, uh, the members of the press gallery and others, uh, for all of the work that they've done uh, in the year gone by, and look forward to seeing you all in the new year after a, a well-earned break. Uh, and I would like to confirm uh, that Santa Claus has permission to enter Irish airspace uh, and to cross our borders on December 24th through December 25th um, and I want to thank uh, IAA, Inish, Department of Agriculture and the Revenue Commissioners uh, for allowing uh, the necessary exemptions uh, to occur. Uh, a huge big thank you to all of the staff in Leinster House and a happy Christmas. To all of the staff in Leinster House, catering, cleaning staff, everyone who makes everything possible for us, uh, have a good break and, and have a lovely Christmas. And I want to wish everyone well as we break for Christmas and indeed to thank all the staff across Leinster House for the great work and support that they carry out. It has been an unusual year, members, because we'll never forget, I think, our return in September when we witnessed an unprecedented assault on the houses, our members and our support staff. 
and we have during the year two drawn public attention to the chamber by the use of expletives, crude and unparliamentary language, something that does nothing to enhance debate or build confidence in the 33rd Dáil as a well-functioning parliamentary assembly. In the days ahead, I want you and I exhort you to remember those in need in our own country and across the world. Over Christmas, please take time for yourself and for your families and your loved ones so that you may return in January refreshed and re-energised to tackle the undoubted challenges that lie ahead. That's the Kian Corla and a number of party leaders uh, speaking there as uh, the doll broke for Christmas yesterday. Hard to believe the end of another year. Where does time go? Kian Corla has been uh, one year since the tragic death of Private Sean Mooney, uh, member of the 27th Battalion of the Dog. And today our thoughts and prayers with his family and friends. I also can cordially extend solidarity to, to the family of Private Sean Rooney of the 27th Infantry Battalion, Dundalk, whose first anniversary takes place today, or yesterday, Groa Annam. And I'm sure that everyone in the House will join with me in extending to the family our thoughts and prayers at this difficult time for them. I would also like to take a moment to mark the first anniversary of the death of Private Sean Rooney. Uh, one year ago uh, today, uh, Sean was killed. Uh, in the service of peace in uh, southern Lebanon, and his life was one of uh, full of cor- courage, cut short uh, in the noble pursuit of peace. And there is no noble, more noble work than that of the peacekeeper. So everyone in the house, I think we join in expressing solidarity and sympathy with Sean's mother, Natasha, uh, his fiance Holly, the Rooney and McCluskey families, uh, and his colleagues and friends in the Defence Forces who mourn Sean's loss every day. Just some of uh, the tributes uh, paid uh, to Private uh, Sean Rooney on his first anniversary yesterday in the Dáil. As I say, the Dáil has uh, broken for Christmas, but they didn't go without one last scrap. And we'll hear a little bit of of, uh, the debate yesterday on housing and the gloves were off. Uh, Deputy, 2022, which you haven't said, of course, in your presentation, saw the highest level of delivery of new build, new build social housing since 1975. Yeah. Over 10,000 homes were, were the social yeah, homes please. delivered last year, including 7,433 new build social homes. And that will happen again this year. And the pipeline, the strong pipeline of over 23,600, again, Deputy O'Brien doesn't want the truth to be told in the House. I'm begging the hand through the chair. Always happens in here, week in, week out, when we want to put a few facts on the, on the, on the agenda. Deputy O'Brien and Deputy Doherty always seek to intervene. The bottom line is this. There's a pipeline of over 23,600 social homes either on-site or at design and tender stage. And the funding is in place um, to deliver uh, over 11,600 social homes for 2024. 30,500 social homes have been added to the social housing stock. Um, up to up to Q320. I am answering the question. You don't like the answer. You do not like the answer. Um, if I might, this is strategic heckling. Please allow the Tarnished to respond. And Deputy O'Brien, leaders' questions have got nothing to do with you. You have to wait until you're leader. Now, and I just finally say, 
just to quote, just to quote, if I could, an objective, the latest report from Euroconstruct, which is an independent construction market forecast, notes that construction output in Ireland is forecast to grow at the strongest rate among 19 European countries, expanding by 3.2% this year, 4.4% in 2024. Uh, but there's no point of order. 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 Resume your seat. Resume your seat. Resume your seat, please. Good God. I, do you know what? We have visitors in the house. Could we at least behave ourselves? when there are visitors present. <laughs> well, the good China might have been out for the visitors, uh, but uh, the manners were questionable. Give us a break, would you? Or give the politicians a, a break. Indeed, uh, the politicians have taken uh, their Christmas break now and uh, the doll resumes in January. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. Uh, a text from a, a listener asking, Michael, I wonder if you'd be able to help me. I'm one of a few neighbours in Clongill, Wilkinson, who are being kept awake at night by a lunatic in a white Lexus car, which is backfiring horrendously, especially after working all day and uh, especially my wife, uh, I take it, uh, awake at night uh, at the end of uh, their tether because of uh, the noise, dreadful situation. I'm not sure that there's anything I could do about that. Uh, I think uh, that the best thing that you could do probably is call the guards, which I'm sure you have. Um, I'm not even sure what the guards can do about it uh, unless it's uh, environmental pollution, noise pollution, that type of thing. Really not sure, but a, a dreadful situation. Uh, I suppose uh, if it was somebody behaving normally, you might think, well, I might go down and talk to them. Uh, but if they're at that in the middle of the night, I'm not sure uh, if I'd advise that. I certainly uh, would be very cautious before I did anything like that. Uh, but thanks uh, indeed uh, for your message. Our phone number 0419832000. Text or WhatsApp 0861800658. Email michael at lmfm.ie if you want to make comment today on what is my last programme of the year and a lot of holidays left over so I'll be taking them and I won't be here next week but uh, not to worry I don't think uh, I'll be missed very much because Alan Cantwell will be in the seat and Maggie McGuire uh, will be there in the background as is always preparing the programme so full programmes up to the end of next week here on the Michael Reid show Alan Cantwell uh, will be in this seat uh, none better than Alan uh, and uh, indeed uh, hard to believe that we're still or that we're on the same radio station these days uh, because we were on a, a, the same radio station uh, 35 years ago uh, for that matter uh, but uh, I'm sure that you'll look after Alan well and keep in touch with uh, your comments and texts and keep him going in that sense. As I say 0419832000 is our telephone number text or WhatsApp 086 email michael at lmfm.ie Now we're going to stay with doll business and uh, some very serious concerns that were raised during the week about a nursing home by Finnegale TD for Loud and East Mead Fergus O'Dowd who was speaking under doll privilege. Castlebridge Manor Nursing Home uh, HICA report was published this week. It shows non-compliance with 7 out of 10 regulations. This is the third inspection in 12 months which shows significant non-compliance with governance, healthcare, staffing. I believe this is institutional abuse. I believe it's elder abuse. And it's absolutely appalling that people who are not incontinent are forced to wear 
incontinent wear for up to four hours of, at a time because of lack of staff. They're forced into bed in some parts of that home at 8pm in the evening. Uh, the personal hygiene of some residents is attended at 5am in the morning or 11.30pm. There is inadequate assistance at mealtime. There's a lack of staff, issues around bed sores. Human rights are being ignored. I believe this report ought to be referred to the Gardaí in relation to elder abuse and also to professional bodies. And finally, that homes which are badly run like this home, that the directors face uh, financial penalties also. Thanks, Deputy. Uh, I, I haven't had a chance to read the particular report, um, but certainly uh, what you describe is deeply worrying and deeply concerning. Uh, HICWA has a number of options that it can take, including uh, closure order, for example. Um, but uh, uh, I think I should take a look at the report before saying any more. All right, that's uh, the Taoiseach responding to Fine Gael TD, Fergus O'Dowd. Fergus O'Dowd, as I say, was speaking under dull privilege, uh, but shocking stuff, uh, I think, uh, to think that people are enduring conditions like that in a nursing home will come as a great shock to many of you listening. Now, the government has approved the publication of the outline of proposed legislation which will ultimately introduce facial recognition technology. Olga Cronin, Surveillance and Human Rights Senior Policy Officer with the Irish Council for Civil Liberties, ICCL, joins us now. And a very good morning to you, Olga, and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. The Irish Council for Civil Liberties is completely opposed to the introduction of this technology now, at least, as things stand. Maybe you'd explain to us why that is the case. Yeah, thanks, William, Mike, for having me on. So um, our issues with facial recognition have been aired now since May 2022. Um, basically, the use of facial recognition, live or retrospective, can remove the possibility of anonymity within a city or a town or wherever it is applied. Um, it allows police forces to look at what happens in the city um, in a moment in time if it was live, but also back in time if it's retrospective. It's a novel and untested technology um, it's a very faulty technology. It's more of a, um, a gadget that guesses who a person is. It's based on a probability score. Um, it has huge issues in terms of racial bias, ethnic bias. Um, and essentially, if you, are, if you are not a white male, you're more likely to be misidentified. Okay. Um, so there are, there are a plethora of reasons why we, why we are opposed. Okay, but we're, we're being told by the guards uh, that this would be a, an effective tool. The minister is saying uh, precisely that and that it will help them uh, not just to do their job, but do, do their job more efficiently and save thousands of hours of guardy going through CCTV, trying to identify people. And all of this, of course, it, it comes in the light uh, or on foot of uh, the riots on the 23rd of November. Gardaí wading through CCTV, whereas uh, this technology claims to be able to identify people if they're on record. Yeah, thanks, Michael. I mean, I know that, um, like, just to say, when when we finally heard a couple of details as to what the Minister wanted to bring in in this, in this summer, she spoke about bringing in FRT for for crimes such as child abduction um, or terrorism. Um, but since the, the riots, as you mentioned, she said that she actually wants to bring it in for things like violent disorder. Um, and then we saw what was printed yesterday, this is the kind of um, outline of the heads of the bill, and 
she wants to include it for assault and for criminal damage, damage to property. So what's happening is, is that um, there was a, a big announcement in May 2022, very, very little detail. Um, and what we're, what we're seeing now is that we're actually on, like we're sliding down the slippery slope before we've even started because um, the scope with which she wants to use this FRT is, is, is widening. Mm. Um, and when it comes to things like, um, you know, and we've heard this a lot that uh, it's going to, you know, be more, make the guard's job more efficient. Yeah. Um, we really hope that we'll see proof of that when it comes to the pre-legislative scrutiny for all use cases that they that they wish to use. But just in terms of the in just in terms of the riot situation, there's a couple of things I think that should be said there. Um, in light of what happened in Dublin, um, in, in respect of people looting shops. I mean, identification wasn't at issue there. The issue was preventing people from looting shops. Um, and in respect of maybe trying to identify them after the fact, that was probably very unlikely given the fact that most people were wearing either hoodies pulled right over their faces or they were wearing masks. Also, a lot of CCTV would look likely have been damaged because of the damage. Um, and it's not clear what kind of quality of imagery that that was um, uh, collected. Can but you not be recognised wearing a mask? Sorry to interrupt. I thought uh, that it, very, it, it could recognise people from their eyes. Very, very unlikely, I think. Um, I mean, there may be, I think there has been some research done on this and the probability, like, it is already uh, um, a faulty gadget, but it would, the, the, the issues with it would become, it would even be greater if there was an attempt to use it in respect to people mm. who are wearing masks or covering their faces. But I should also just say, in terms of the riots, I think it's important to say that um, the European Data Protection Board has previously stated that um, a situation like this where there was a, a, um, a collection, a vast collection of uh, video footage, either from social media or from dash cam footage or shots or wherever. Um, they've made it very clear that applying FRT like, to vast amounts of footage collected from all these sources in respect of a riot where everyone in that footage you know, had the face ID attached to their face and all of these faces being placed in the database and all of those faces being subsequently sub- subjected to a search mm. um, with just a kind of generic provision in a national law that this would be strictly necessary and subject to appropriate safeguards, etc., that would not be sufficient. And they say that it wouldn't be sufficient because of the significant risks involved. And I think that's a really important point to make because the, the, this idea that um, the guards can just have this magic tool where they can just press control and F, which is often what we hear, um, it, 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 A, it doesn't work like that, mm. and B, it can't work like that. Mm. Uh, and, if, like for uh, fundamental right reasons. Uh, and if it worked like that, we'd be having a different conversation. But uh, as you say, there's a lot of evidence of this technology being used elsewhere where it has misidentified people, particularly black people and particularly yeah. black women. Uh, for that matter, and people have found themselves in prison unjustly uh, because of being uh, misidentified in that way. If that is true, Olga, why is this being sold as a silver bullet to the public? Is it because it's sexy, if you like, or easy to understand uh, that it's a, a message that you can get across in a couple of seconds? We'll put cameras on you, we'll identify you, we'll lock you up and throw away the key and that type of a message. Absolutely. I mean, it is being presented as a magic solution. Like, I mean, we're actually struggling to come up with new ways of trying to explain how it isn't, you know, the magic, the magic tool or the silver bullet that it's being presented as. I mean, 
I, I mean, I think it's probably fair to say that, uh, you know, there are multi-million companies behind these tools, you know, with very large lobbying power and access. And they are selling these tools as being, you know, these are 99.999% accurate. Whereas in actual fact, Michael, a big issue here is that because these are, you know, private companies with proprietary interests, it's very, very difficult for either a police force or a government sanctioning a police force to use it to actually get into the technology to see exactly what it does and exactly how it works and how or if it is discriminatory um, and, and what their actual accuracy rates are outside of the laboratory setting. Because a lot of these, um, a lot of these uh, accuracy figures are based on laboratory settings. They're not based on operational setting in terms of where they're being used and the people that they're being used upon. So, like, it's important to remember that there's not just one FRT company out there and there's not just one FRT algorithm out there. There are many and there are many every other week. And we don't know the data upon which they are trained. Therefore, we don't know the impact that it will have on the community that it will be uh, applied to. Okay. So that is a question that's kind of insurmountable. Um, and I do, and I would agree with you, I think it's a very clear message. We can use a camera, press control F, and uh, we catch all the bad guys. Unfortunately, in the real world, that's just not how it, that's just not how it works. That's just not what happens. Okay, Olga, we'll leave it there. Thank you indeed for joining us this morning. Olga Cronin, Surveillance and Human Rights Senior Policy Officer with ICCL. That's the Irish Council for Civil Liberties. Michael Reed on LMFM. Uh, some 350 people, most of uh, them were young children, were hospitalised last week with RSV. 20 out, 23 outbreaks of respiratory illnesses in hospitals at, at the moment. The HSE says that levels of RSV are very high and you're being advised to be careful, particularly parents of young children and older people. Dr Suzanne Cox Consultant in Public Health Medicine with Public Health HSE Dublin and North East joins us. Uh, a very good morning to you, Dr. Cotter. Thanks uh, for joining us on uh, the programme this morning. Uh, maybe begin uh, with uh, the uh, most obvious question of all. What is RSV? All right. Good morning, Michael, and thank you for having me on this morning. Uh, RSV is called, it's a, the shortened version of the name of respiratory virus. Uh, it's a common virus that's been around for decades, and it is a virus that's ubiquitous. The Usually children by the age of two have all had it already. However, it's that age group that is most severely affected by it. And certainly, as you've mentioned, you know, the numbers reported in Ireland in recent weeks have been enormous. And in fact, the week before last, we saw the highest number ever reported in Ireland with over 900 cases reported. And last, last week, you know, over 800 were reported and we had mm. over 300 hospitalised. So it's a very common virus and the children are most at risk if they're less than one, but also those between the age of one and four are very much affected. And we have seen as well substantial numbers of the elderly, particularly those greater than yeah. 65, who are also affected. The virus presents itself as... You know, a, a fever, frequently a fever, cough, sniffles, you know, runny nose. Um, and, you know, the children may have difficulty breathing. Nice. Um, mm. And sometimes they may develop what's called a bronchiolitis about four to five days after the initial symptoms. And that's essentially inflammation of the air tubes in the lung 
and they can have great difficulty breathing and sometimes those children are the ones that require hospitalisation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because the they'll, 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 yeah. breathing will be so bad they'll uh, find it difficult to feed. Uh, they find it difficult to feed uh, and so, you know, they can become dehydrated. Right. And so, so mm. that's kind of the, you know, mm. the, the, the worst case scenario. But for children that are, you know, snuffly and their nose is mm. blocked and they're coughing, the best way of managing them, if they're not that sick, like they're not well, but yeah. they're not that mm. sick, you can manage them, many of them, most of them at home, by just, you know, clearing their, their nose with maybe a saline, you know, little wash, giving them frequent feeds, small but frequent feeds, and supporting them and making sure that, you know, they're comfortable, they are taking in enough fluids and they're having enough, you know, wet nappies. Okay. You know, yeah. if they don't have enough wet nappies, it means they're getting dehydrated. Yeah, that's the clear side. Say, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, is this different than the common cold? It is different because the common cold won't progress to a difficulty breathing and you don't get a high temperature with the common cold. Okay. You know, with the common cold, you just have the sniffle. But a lot of the initial symptoms are the same, are they not? They, they are. The mm. initial symptoms can be the same, but it's the progression and the severity of the disease mm. that then represents really that you're probably dealing with RSV rather than with the common cold. Okay, you know, if, 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 if a young baby is showing the symptoms of a mm-hmm. cold, um, should you be concerned? No, you shouldn't be concerned because uh, lots of, you know, we're all going to get cold in the winter. Mm. But what you do need to be aware of that, I suppose all of us should be aware that even a common cold may be the early signs of something that's more than just a rhinovirus, you know, which is the common cold virus. Mm. So ideally, anybody who's developing, you know, sniffles or head cold or cough should not be mixing with particularly vulnerable individuals, either with other children or with elderly, you know, and be careful of your respiratory hygiene, washing hands, you know, coughing into your sleeve Mm. and disposing of your uh, tissues and then washing hands. So, you know, so a common cold is not something we're worried about, but because it's very difficult in the early stage to differentiate Mm. the common cold from the RSV, we do recommend that if there are any respiratory symptoms, you know, step back a little bit, avoid going out, maybe keep the children okay. at home mm. and, um, you know, and see how it goes. And what about young babies? Um, if so, the baby is well, um, mm-hmm. should, should you keep the baby uh, away from other people as much as possible, given how uh, high the levels of this are? I saw uh, one headline suggesting that young babies should be cocooned by their parents. Yes, yeah. So the HSE, uh, Dr. Abigail Collins, has done a press release saying that this is the optimum time to cocoon children, which does mean keeping them away from crowds, keeping them away from big groups uh, to protect them. And the reason being that there is so much RSV out there at the moment that it is hard, you know, if you're going into a crowded place, you don't know who has what. And so that's really, for the moment, that is the recommendation Try to avoid crowded situations with lots of people because you can't interrogate a whole mm. crowd as to whether or not they've got symptoms. And of course, so, there's a, know, a lot of things going around at the moment. There, there there's colds and flus, yeah. there's COVID yeah. uh, and RSV uh, undoubtedly. Yeah. Uh, and uh, there's a, a lot for us all to think about there as well. Yes, exactly. Particularly those of us that are on the you know extremes of age or are looking after those who are on the extremes of age or have immunocompromising conditions or chronic, you know, 
chronic conditions that may make them more vulnerable. Mm. But for, for the RSV, it's really it's the age groups are the particularly vulnerable, you know, the youngest and then the eldest. Okay, and the best um, thing you can do for flu or COVID is to get vaccinated, I take it. Exactly. So flu mm. has started to double, uh, which is really concerning because it's coinciding with what's already a very busy season, you know, for the hospitals. So the number of flu cases has doubled since last week. Uh, we're over 200, um, and it's likely to continue to double over the next couple of weeks. And as you say, you know, the protection is vaccination for those most at risk, being those 65 and older, those with chronic medical conditions, and then the vaccine is also recommended for children. You know, from the age of 2 to 17, there's a, a nasal vaccine that's just a squirt in the nose mm. that is recommended and easily available from, you know, the GP or pharmacist until the end of the year. And I would say that now before Christmas and mm. the Christmas rush is really the time for people to be getting their vaccines because we all know that over Christmas period, everybody is mingling, you know, mm. and people don't want to miss the family events or the parties or whatever. And so they might go out even though they've got a bit of something brewing that they may kind of push in the back of their mind. So the likelihood of transmission is much higher. And so we, what we find is that, you know, a lot of the elderly are very well vaccinated and those that aren't yet vaccinated would say, go get it as soon as you can. But even those that are going to be, you know, going to, to visit nursing homes and things like that or having elderly in their in their household, be very aware of symptoms if you're eligible mm vaccination get it now both for the covid yeah. and for the flu because covid is also beginning to increase and should grandparents avoid seeing young babies this christmas no you know i i no, I, I i wouldn't say that so when we talk about the cocooning it's kind of the big crowds you know and protecting them if you're going into a a small family setting you know where you can know and tell people you know if you're symptomatic don't come to the party or don't come, you know. So so for f- small settings, you know, you don't want to miss those really important family activities so long as everybody is well, you know, mm. and that's the main thing. If you're symptomatic, you should avoid granny or you should avoid the baby, you know, and don't be mixing closely with them, but stay to the side, you know. Um, but a complete isolation is not healthy you know, for the babies, mm, for the grandparents, yeah, or for mm, the family. Mm, but mm. just be aware of symptoms, you know, yeah. and do do stay away if you're at all sick. And if the symptoms develop, wheezing or um, something like that, dry nappies, uh, as you said, uh, oh, maybe yeah. th- that's the yeah. time to contact a doctor. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The thing is that the parent really knows their child, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, and they know I'm not happy here. And okay, you know, maybe it's, you know, and maybe it is, just something very trivial. But if they have a concern, you know, they think the child isn't right, they should always, you know, contact their medical care provider, okay. you know, because yep. they know mm-hmm. best. All right. Thank you indeed, Dr. Cotter, for joining All right. us. Thank you very much. That's uh, Dr. Suzanne Cotter, consultant in public health medicine with Public Health, HSE, Dublin and Northeast. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Well, let's uh, go to Dundalk, uh, where two off-duty Gardaí 
were assaulted. A gang jumped on them, it would appear uh, from reports in the Irish Mirror today on Sunday night going into the early hours of Monday morning. Local Sinn Féin TD Rory Murku is on the line and a very good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. Uh, this is described by the paper as a vicious assault on the Gardaí. What more do you know about it? Well, I suppose there's two things. There's what more do you know and there's what you can say because obviously Gardaí will tell you they're investigating what occurred in Ann Street just after one o'clock on Monday. And I know that there were two arrests and that a file has been prepared for the for the DPP. So obviously we don't in any way want to endanger that. Um, but it's out there in the public domain that, that these were Gardaí. Um, it is alleged that they were assaulted knowing that they were Gardaí, and that's absolutely frightening. We're talking about Ann Street. That's literally only down from Dundalk Garda Station. Um, now, on some level, we get completely... We're, we're that used to violence and violence on our, you know, on a Saturday, Sunday night. You know what I mean? It, mm. it sometimes does not does not phase us in any way, shape or form. Um, but but I think it's something that we have to think about. And again, unfortunately, this is not the first attack, whether it's on a Garda personally or on their house and property or cars, you know, over the last number of years in the in the general Dundalk area. And look, we know the issues in relation to Garda retention, probably not that shocking, you know, on the basis of, of stuff like this. Um, and we need to make sure that obviously this is investigated fully and that, you know, the law is brought to bear um, mm. absolutely and we need to make sure that there's protection for all yeah. our citizens out there but particularly for those that uh, uphold uphold the law Look, It, I it seems as though the guards were socialising in Brewbakers on Park Street and left the pub when they got jumped on on Ann Street but the paper is reporting some fairly significant injuries to the guards well, we we are, we we are we are hearing that now. I, I don't think. Hopefully, we're not talking about anything that sounds like it's life-altering. Oh no, no. Any, but any uh, what one guard has said have a broken nose and facial injuries. Uh, the second uh, internal mouth and facial injuries. Uh, the perpetrator perpetrator of the paper says attempted to fish hook the guard. Uh, I'm not sure what that means, uh, but he lost a tooth in the attack. Well, look here. That's absolutely vicious in any way, shape, or form. As I say, I'm I'm trying not to comment overly on it on the basis that there's obviously there's a legal process that's now in train. Um, but like if I'm talking about any of those acts that have happened of attacks on Gardaí or attacks on the property of Gardaí in the last while, it is utterly reprehensible. It is in no way tolerable and we need to ensure that we actually deal with it as swiftly as possible and that's another issue we've been dealing with because we know the issues we've had with backlog uh, courts and whatever mm. look we, we know the, the we know the issues we have in relation to we don't have enough guarantee and um, but we need to make sure that we have guarantee that ha- you know what i mean have a yeah. sufficient amount of morale and believe that the wider society has their back you know, and, and acts like this obviously don't don't add to it. And we certainly don't have to have the case that we've had in mm. the last while that we haven't had enough um that we haven't had enough judges, we haven't had enough court time, that we've had like huge, huge backlogs. While some of that has been addressed, I still think that there are uh, 
that there are huge there are huge issues in in relation to that and, and we do need to look at the means by which we're going to deal with this idea of public safety because this has been an issue that has been running for a considerable amount of time right through the summer and 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 before and sometimes it's it's news because it's in Dublin but unfortunately for all of us we know these are issues that are happening across Ireland in every town and village there's something and, really and wrong though isn't there when off duty Gardaí are being uh, attacked uh, by a gang who's obviously not afraid of anyone and as vicious as they were on members of Angarda Síochána, there really is an attitudinal problem. Yeah, we have, we have a huge level. And, and here, I'm not talking very specifically in relation to this case, but let's be absolutely clear. I would hate to get the numbers in relation to the amount of people that were using illegal drugs in Dundalk on that particular night. Um, we know the, the issue that exists in, in, in society across the board in relation to cocaine and, 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 and many other drugs that can you know, obviously add to, you know, th- this element of violence and, 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 and all the rest of it. So uh, we have to get very real in relation to how we're going to deal with all this um, all this particular issue. And I also have to think uh, of my last interaction with guards. I, I met guards last night in dealing with an issue as regards a welfare check where they were trying to deal with a particular issue to facilitate a family, you know what I mean, to a decent outcome and, and, and to look after somebody. And, and you know, and, and there's many, many issues like this that they have to deal with constantly and, and consistently with, with very little thanks. And in fairness, at times, they're the only state agency that you can actually approach, and particularly if you're talking about uh, after five o'clock in the evening. Um, and look, we need to make sure that we have their back as much as they, they have ours. And, and the fact is we're dealing with an under-resourced force. There's not enough Gardaí at the minute. Um, and we need to make sure that here, but first of all, none of this is is acceptable. And, and as I say, I think the one thing that we did see in, in the piece that's reported is the mm. fact that, you know, um, somebody, it, it wasn't even one of the guards, somebody rang the guard station that said somebody obviously called 999 when they saw this happening. You know what I mean? And, and, and that's the sort of action that you want to see that, that obviously, uh, you know, it's, it's regular citizens out there seeing something that's unacceptable and making sure they contact the guards straight away from a point of view of, of dealing with it. But look, uh, as I say, all the acts that have happened, all the violence that has been shown to Gardaí, um, all the uh, attacks on houses, property, um, vehicles, none of it is in any way acceptable in any way, shape or form. And, and we do have a wider issue in relation to dealing with, uh, as I say, public safety across the board. We, we need to get real about all of this. And, and, and the fact is, we haven't. We have as I say, okay. an insufficiently resourced court system, an insufficiently resourced uh, uh, Gardaí corner sure. And uh, until we address uh, that... Uh, all the and, issues and, and that... We've been discussing over the course of the year, no doubt. Uh, We'll be back uh, discussing next year for that matter. But uh, uh, shocking relevant. Oh no, and I'll be honest. Even even this week in in Dundalk, or uh, sorry, in in Leinster House, we were dealing with the issue of of shoplifting, mm. and there was uh, Colin Fee, um, who obviously has a number of shops in the town, was in and. Like he was talking about the particular issues they have in relation to dealing with those that are constantly, consistently, you know, shoplifting at a huge cost and whatever. And I get that this isn't as serious as this in the sense of violent acts. But look, you talk to him and you'll get down to you'll be talking about mm-hmm. the same three or four characters, you know, and I get that yep. there are wider issues. Okay. I, look, I was in the house the other day where I was told about somebody that had smashed a car, you know what I mean? This mm. is a, you know, a, you know, some young fellow that's out working and, and dealing with just what is a chaotic character. 
and we need to find a way and means to deal with this particular okay. scenario because yeah, we have right. a small amount of yeah. people who are making it life almost okay. unbearable for a huge amount in our All society. Right. We will be back undoubtedly talking about it next year but we leave it there for the moment Rory. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Uh, that is Sinn Féin TD for Loud and East Mead, Rory O'Murakou. That's our programme for today and that's it uh, from me for this year but Alan Cantwell will be here for our next programme and I hope you join him and Maggie on Monday morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.